Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Buddy. Just a quick shout out to The Wreck for hosting this podcast each week. The Wreck, way more than a bowling alley. We drop a new podcast every Friday morning with a new story that will impact someone. We hope that someone is you. I just want to say thank you again to all the listeners each week who take the time to hear the stories of our guests. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, give us a review, and share this podcast with your friends, family, and on your favorite social media platforms. We want to get these messages out to the people and to impact the world one testimony at a time. This morning, I'm excited and grateful to introduce to you my guest and new friend, Gabriel Shields. Welcome, Gabriel. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. It's uh, We only met, what, a week ago? Yeah. We had a great coffee. and yeah, it was literally a week ago. One week ago. Yeah. Was it Thursday of last week? It was, no, it was Friday. Friday of last week? It was Friday of last week. It was, okay. it was literally a week ago. And we're great friends now. Yeah. So That's all it took. Well, hey, I got lots of great questions for you, uh, but let me do just a quick intro of you, tell you what I know about you just in the brief moment we've met. Um, I'm going to talk about a little bit more, more in depth about you, what you shared with me, and then we'll launch off into some questions. Sounds good. So the first thing I know about you, Gabriel, is that you're a husband. You've been married to your wife for around six years. Yep, going on six. Tell me your wife's name. Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Cool. Wonderful wife. You have a little boy, two years old. Yes. What's his name? His name's Liam. Liam. Sweetest thing ever. Like Liam Neeson, Liam, or different <laughs> Liam? <laughs> uh, well, we that's a long story that would probably be more than we want to get into, but Maybe. we had trouble getting that name. We weren't sure what, and Liam meant strong-willed protector, so we liked it. Strong-willed yeah. protector. Yeah. It's a great name. Yeah. You are a youth pastor. That's right. At Calvary Chapel in Albany. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And those you... are my kids too. So what's that? And those are my kids too. I That's always it? say I've got I've got a son, and those are my kids. Yeah, I had to learn from Gabriel that he doesn't have many kids or m- many children, but he's adopted at his church all the youth or yeah. his kids. So those are my kids. Yeah, pretty cool. Hey, let me just read this real quick. Just kind of what you share with me a little bit, and maybe. Maybe I'm not going to do this. I'm going to have you do it throughout the story. How's <laughs> okay, that? That sounds good to me. Because there's a lot of good stuff here. I don't want to ruin anything. So let's just dive in real quick and really sure. learn about you. So first of all, where were you born at? And yeah. and how long have you been in, this, in, the, in the valley here? Yeah. So I was born in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. My dad was actually uh, in the Air Force. Right on. So um, obviously, you know, military. Military kid, you're moving a lot. We moved, yeah. And uh, Atlanta, Louisville, folks split. I ended up living in a little town called... So back up real quick. You said Louisville? How, how'd you pronounce Louisville, it? Yeah. Louisville, yeah. You always have to pretend like you got water in your okay. mouth and you're talking Louisville. and you don't want it to spill out. Okay, I just So that's the way to do it. If you pretend you got water in your mouth and you're trying to say Louisville without it spilling, that's the way to do it. Louisville. Okay. Louisville. Louisville. Okay. Yeah. All right. People say Louisville, Louisville. No, it's Louisville. Louisville. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure it's a southern that right. draw right there. All right. Um, so yeah, uh, then my folks split, um, and I lived in Louisville with my mom for a while, um, and then eventually went to go live with my my grandparents and my dad in a little town called Sturgis, Kentucky, a population twelve hundred people. Wow. So a thriving metropolis. Yeah. yeah, I loved it though. I look back on it; those were really great years, formative years of my life. But. Um, after some time, kind of giving you the short version, we'll get into more long details yeah. here. But the short version of it is I moved out here in 2010. Yeah. Um, that was a, that's kind of where my story really begins because I was escaping a lot of, I had, I had come to Christ uh, at 24. How old are you right now? I'm 38. 
Okay, a little yeah. context. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, coming to I Christ. thought you were like 25 still. So you, I, you know, I age like Benjamin Button, and I'm okay with it. Okay. So a lot of people think that, and I'm like, let's just do this. Like, okay. I'll just I'll keep going backwards. Tomorrow I'll be I'll look like my son, yeah. and <laughs> hopefully not. No one would take me seriously. Um, but uh, yeah, so 24, uh, got introduced to to Jesus, and. Um, made the number one cardinal mistake of going, hey, now I'm rooted in a community. Why don't I leave? Because yeah. I was still holding on and harboring a lot of the problems and a lot of the issues from my abuse of my childhood, um, which is probably what we'll really be talking about a lot yeah. in this. And then I came out here and um, God did some really amazing work in me and got married and had my son and yeah. the rest is history. Let's walk back a little bit. Sure. So I want to hear... So you live with your mom early on. Your your parents yeah. divorced. Yeah. How old were you when they divorced? Oh gosh, uh, I think I was eight. Okay. Yeah, I was I was young. Um, my mom was um, unfortunately a a bad alcoholic, drug addict. Um, living with her in Louisville was, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, hell. Um, and I don't year old kid. Too. Yeah. And I, I don't mean that to, to put any shame or, I mean, cause I, I've definitely gotten to a place where I've forgiven her. Mm -hmm. I only say that for the listeners, you know, to understand kind of the shorthand of, of what it was like to be, um, eight, nine, 10 years old in such an environment where no stability, lots of abuse. Um, unfortunately, I think that the real difficulty and the things that I had to work through a lot were, those things, but actually the things that ended up, it's interesting that most of my life was kind of dictated by all of my bitterness and unforgiveness of my mother for the longest time. And it's almost kind of like, like standing, I like to describe it like you're standing behind a, a pillar of unforgiveness. And then when you finally move that pillar, when that, when that pillar is moved and forgiveness actually comes and God restores you, Unfortunately, sometimes you realize all these other things that you've neglected to ever look at. And a lot of those were my problems with my father, um, which are the things that have been the challenge as I've become a, you know, a father myself um, of realizing that he was also not really part of my life. He was very absent. Like we lived with him, but he was, you know, he worked a lot and didn't really invest a lot into me as much as my sister. So there was a lot of bitterness that came out of that as well that I had to deal with and work through. So you live with your mom early on. Yeah. So how many siblings did you have? Just the one sister? I just have one. Si well, I have a very complicated family structure, but I only have one biological sister. Younger or older? She's older. How, how much older? Uh, she's two years older. Okay. So when you were eight, she was 10. Yes. Was she with you and your mom at that time? Yeah. For for a short period of time, she was. Um. So for the that was kind of the interesting thing, the interesting dichotomy of that situation um, was that for the short period of time, my sister kind of stepped into the role of mother. Um, hmm. You know, so can you imagine a 10-year-old little girl, you know, being a mother to her eight-year-old? Well, um, there were some times where, you know, we would literally have to lock ourselves in the bedroom because of crazy stuff. And my sister finally called my grandparents and I, I believe, I don't, I may be wrong about some of these details. She mm -hmm. either called my dad or called my grandparents and they picked her up in the middle of the night. I stayed. Um, I believed, and I don't know all the whole details even to this day of why I was left, but I do remember that 
when I was young, there was always this this feeling of if I could just say or do the right thing, you know, definitely this hero complex mm-hmm. as, a, as a young boy, even at that time that I could save my mom. If I just stuck around, I could save my mom. And um, one of the nights that really sticks with me, that was kind of a, that I really can look, you know, you look back on things and realize where God was at in all of it. And I remember she had brought over, she was, you know, she would bring over really terrible guys. And uh, one particular, I remember it was the middle of the night, I woke up, I'm hearing her getting beat. And I walk out, I think I'm 10 years old at this point, Louisville. So we all have our Louisville sluggers. Okay. Everybody has a Louisville slugger. I think I had gone to the Louisville slugger museum and everything. Um, So I pull out my Louisville slugger and I go into the living room and I take a bat to him. A 10. Yeah, 10 years old. Um, unfortunately he got the bat out of my hand and, uh, and this is where I, I really know God was there. I remember I'm shielding, I'm shielding my face, getting ready to get hit and, uh, it never comes. And, and, and I'm not, this is going to sound like completely unbelievable, but I, I finally lowered my hands and he's standing there with the bat as if he's not moving, just standing over me with it raised up and just like, I'm waiting and I'm looking at him. It's almost like something's holding him back. And I've never forget that moment. And I, you know, it took me years and years to look back and go, oh, God was there. You know, for the longest time, I had all this bitterness that didn't allow me to look at those moments of protection. Um, and I know not everybody gets, unfortunately, that story. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, the end isn't always as good. But I, I, you know, it always brings me back to Joseph when he's, his brothers come and he says, what you intended for much evil, God made good. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be the man I was today, that I am today if it hadn't been for the levels of empathy and compassion that were built from that. I was, you know, God didn't, you know, that's not God's will, but he has yeah. made good out of it. Yeah. He has turned it into like, just like Joseph. Joseph had to go through prison for Israel to come into Egypt, you know, and I believe that that's what he's done in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, I mean, it's not a great story. I know it's a great outcome. As a 10-year-old, that's a lot of pressure that you you wanted to save your mom. You thought yeah. you could save your mom. In reality is- no. You can't. Yeah. And that's the hard way when we come to that reality is like, we want to go, we hurt for people. We want to save people. Trust me, I've, you know, God can only save me. I Nobody can save me. Yeah. Only God. And then, yeah, I want to go out and save people. And yeah. I learned, it took me a long time to figure out, you can lead a horse to water. Yeah. Can't make a drink. Doesn't matter how thirsty it is. Yeah. <laughs> it, the, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think that is something we do as men too. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, it's not, everybody but i do believe that you know we as men i think we naturally have that in us that we want to be protectors yeah. providers and play, build a place of security and when we have to figure that out at such a young age um that really did twist a lot of my relationships after that that i did take kind of a messiah savior complex even without knowing god into relationships where i would date the wrong kind of girls hoping I could fix them, also believing I had deserved, I didn't deserve anything good. So I, it was kind of this, you know, strange, mm. again, like this this, this um, kind of weird paradigm where you're entering into a relationship with a woman, like almost saying, okay, you know, I deserve bad, but I also hope I could fix her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you, you're, at some point in time, you leave your mom and you go live with your dad. Yes. You're around 10, you think? 
I, the details are a little fuzzy. I think I'm 10. Yeah, I was definitely fifth grade. Okay. Yeah, um, 9 or 10. Yeah. I, I luckily, um, all the years I was in school, correspond with the year in like 95, fifth grade, 96, sixth grade. So I can go, oh, yeah, I was in probably 95. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it was about ni- 1995, fifth grade. I may go, my dad had um, left the Air Force, become an attorney, ironically. That's interesting. Yeah. That's why we we're in Georgia. He was... Um, uh, going to Emory Law, I think. Um, real, real smart guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, we ended up living with my grandparents because he had started a practice. Your dad's parents. My dad's parents. Got it. Oh man, that was uh, again the second real God provision. My grandmother, I I joke. <laughs> it's a it's a joke I say, but it's almost true. It's kind of one of those where I think my my grandmother really was Mary Poppins. I mean, mm. she was to the point where like, I and mean, I'm talking like Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins, didn't look like her, but, you know, she would sing all the time. She was a Christian woman. She loved Jesus. She went to church. She dragged me kicking and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> Not really, actually. I actually really liked going with her because she was this calm presence that I didn't, I had never had. It was a strange thing to go from where you never were told that you were meaningful. I mean, I can't say the things that I heard growing up for the sake of our listeners, but yeah. just imagine, you know, um, you know, my mom would tell me, you know, the day that I was born was the worst day of her life. And, you know, I was, you know, a mistake. And and those are the ones that I can say. And then everything else I'll leave on yeah. the cutting room floor. Um, but then, you know, to live with my grandmother who would tell me she loved me, who would sing me to sleep, who would um, hug me and, you know, and it was- Showed you love. Showed me love. And, you know, and I was so broken. You know, I broke their, I had a room, I broke the door, you know, I broke stuff. I was, I mean, I was so hurt. And unfortunately, my dad, you know, he was not in a good place um, himself. I really don't truly fully understand a lot of what my dad went through and maybe is still going through. Um, but, you know, he was, I think he did the best he could. Um but, you know, just didn't really feel like he was really the presence there. I was, in a, you know, he, his approach to parenting me was very different from my sister. You know, I don't remember ever being able to stay at the dinner table. It's always go, you know, we're, you're, you know, you're, you're not acting right. You need to leave. Very hard on me. And I think there's a, there's some merit to being hard on a, a young boy. But I think at the same time, it was kind of the 90s and the rise of the, you know, movement of uh, the, uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? You know, uh, basically psychology. Okay. So I was basically, you know, really early on, it was like, rather than going, oh, this is a boy that's been through a lot of trauma. This is a boy that's bipolar. Let's get him medicated. And that was kind of his approach. So I was just basically medicated all through until I was out of school. And uh, I remember even then, I, I remember thinking it was all, you know, really bogus. I, I, don't, I think God instilled this in me. I was like, no, this, I'm hurting. But I just didn't have, no one ever invested in me and said, hey, you're hurting. Let's Let's figure that out. Mm. So I was lost and meandered for most of my young life. I mean, honestly, I feel like my life at, it wasn't until I entered my 30s that, I mean, if I were to show you a a growth chart maturity-wise of myself, it would look pretty well flat until about 30s. And then men started finding me and mentoring me for Christ. And this is even after I'm a Christian, you know, 
24 to even 30. There's six years I'm kind of meandering, but like, oh, there's Jesus. I kind of call it the peephole years where it's like you see Jesus through the peephole. But you're like, oh, I, I know you're standing at the door and knocking, but, you know, we can't have dinner quite yet. I got to clean some things up. And then when I, I was in my 30s, men started investing me. And then, you know, it was like an exponential growth. I mean, if you would have met me three or four years ago, I wouldn't be on this podcast probably, even as a Christian, which is a very interesting I'm not sure how many Christians are out there like that right now. They're like, yeah, I'm going to church. I'm checking the box. But I feel lost still. And I felt like that for a long time, even as a Christian. For 14 years, right? I'm 38. So, you know, maybe 10 of those, just completely lost as a Christian. Wow. Yeah. How'd you get to Oregon? And how, well, yeah, just a yeah. few questions. And how'd you meet your wife? You know, how, yeah, yeah. Walk yeah. us through that journey. I know sure. your upbringing was tough, but you're giving us a backstory. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Transparency and... That's hard. Yeah. But God's grace is sufficient. We know so that. So good, yeah. Right? Yeah. So walk us through the next part of your journey of your life. Did you go to, where'd you go to high school, college? How'd you meet your wife? Yeah. Um, You're starting to talk like a Kentuckian. That's how <laughs> we do. It's like, tell me about you and your folks and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I went to uh, high school in a little, um, shout out to my my friends there if you hear in <laughs> Union County High School. Um, Union County is a, a wonderful place. Unfortunately, uh, it's kind of a sneeze and you miss it, but- um, I really loved it there. I, it took me a long time to realize I loved it. You know, I'm looking back, I hated it when I was a kid. And now I'm looking back on it very fondly. I'm like, those were good years. Um, small town. Yeah. Um, but so when I graduated high school, um, I initially, <laughs> this is just kind of puts things in perspective. It's like 2000, I graduated in 2003. It's 2004, I start college, go to a community college called Henderson Community. And um <laughs> And uh, to put in perspective, uh, this is about the time that you are not allowed to use an internet source unless you balance it with three book sources because it's seen as unreliable. Oh, how times have changed. Um, so I had to drop out because of finances. So I went to go um, the closest place, southern Indiana. There's a place called Evansville, Indiana. It's uh, You drive anywhere within 60 miles, it's farmland. So that's basically the hub. Um, so I went to go work for a while, multiple jobs. Um, but uh, felt very lost. Um, started doing, you know, it's so funny. I never did uh, drugs or sp even smoked a cigarette or even had a drink of alcohol because I was always afraid that I'd become like my my mom. And uh, then I graduated high school and got out. And when I when I got into this pit of loneliness, of despair, because I'm living at the time when I graduated high school, I live in I went to move to a place called Morganfield, which is essentially like ten miles maybe from Sturgis, and my folks live in Sturgis. And I suddenly, for the first time in my life, I'm not just alone emotionally, but I'm physically alone. And that physical loneliness allows me to realize all the weight of the emotional loneliness. And so. Um, it was really hard for me to know that my dad lived 10 miles away and never visited me, never spent, you know, never came. So I fell into drugs. I fell into alcohol, um, women, you know, kind of the classic story, unfortunately. And the, the beautiful thing about a testimony is it's really about God's work in you. It's not really mm. about me. Yeah. You know, so I get to talk about that, you know, so this is the beautiful thing about a testimony. And um, kind of an aside on that, I rem remember I'd always go to churches and I'd be the guy with a testimony. And I always hate that when people say, man, you know, I wish I had a testimony like yours. And I'm like, man, I wish I was the person that grew up and was like, I had everything and I still re realized I needed God. I think that's a testimony. You know, when you're in, in a sea drowning and somebody throws you a raft, it's like, of course you're going to grab it. But imagine you're on the boat and you're going, you're on the yacht, you know, and you're living there and you're going, 
this isn't something's missing you know it's that famous c.s lewis quote what is it you know if i find in myself desires that are not fulfilled by this world i know i'm made for another that's a testimony so anyway sorry that's a little i, I went off on a tangent there but um but uh yeah so you know i'm feeling very lonely and getting into drugs alcohol i luckily again god sent my friend charlie um he's like my brother we still talk daily uh or try to um in some capacity i was living in evansville uh, at the time working and he would drive he would drive the 60 miles to come up and see me every weekend and i didn't trust anybody i had huge trust issues and very bad anger issues i mean i had like holes in my walls and all sorts of stuff and i did not like inviting anybody into my world charlie had a key uh -huh. <laughs> charlie was that guy and i knew something was different about him i just i knew it he 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 was just a different kind of guy and um so he comes in one weekend and i'm there and i've got I mean, you just imagine the most debauchery type stuff going on, drugs, alcohol, all sorts. He walks in and he heads for the door. And I think I'm, you know, three three shades of drunk at this point. And I chase after him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I see. You're going to leave just like everybody else leaves me. Yeah, you're just like everybody else. You know, giving him what he didn't deserve, you know, because he'd always shown up. But I was mad and I was broken. You know, yeah, there's the door. You You just leave like everybody else. He says, no. He said, he turned at me, and I'll never forget. It must have been the Holy Spirit. Um, he turns at me, and he looks at me straight in the eye. He said, I'm not leaving you. He said, but I'm leaving this situation. He said, I'm not going to watch you rot. You have my number. You know where to call me. Mm -hmm. Or you know where I'm, you know, you know how to call me. You know how to get a hold of me. When I'm available, ready. but I'm not going to sit here and watch you. And that was profound. And I remember, man, he left, and I probably, you know, cussed him up and down one side and down the other. And I woke up the next day and I was so mad at him and I loved him at the same time. I, it was the first time I'd ever thought, no one's ever talked to me like that. Thank, you know, I'm looking back on it now. I'm saying, thank God. Yeah. I didn't really have the words in con to, to put it contextually like that. But I remember going, nobody's ever talked to me like that. Something's different. So I, uh, that was kind of the moment where I was like, in the first kind of moment where I was like, you know, Charlie's different. He's got Jesus. I want to know what that's like. I want to know what that's about. Um, you know, I did grow up with my my mom would talk about Jesus. My dad would talk about Jesus, but it was really confusing to me because you can you imagine hearing your mom talk about Jesus and then, you know, do cocaine, <laughs> you know, yeah. and your dad talk about Jesus, but he's not available, which, you know, is the difficulty or he's, you know, always sending you away from the table, you know. Um, so it, it was it was hard, but Charlie made that helpful and then um kind of this is kind of where it gets to oregon is um a friend of mine josh uh great guy too i met him he was doing traveling sales and then i ended up doing the same work we traveled around um selling um and uh and uh, he lived out in corvallis and he said hey man if you're ever if you're ever inclined to come out just give me a ring and so uh gave my life to christ at 24 got baptized um, really started to get rooted, but then it awakened all of the needing to forgive my folks. And I don't think I was ready for that yet, um, unfortunately. Um, and so I thought wrongly, this, there's a quote that says, wherever you go, there you are. Yep. And I thought wrongly that if I had, remember I said earlier that that 10 mile, and which now had only become, which now had become 60 miles, but still is Charlie's making that drive. My folks are never visiting me. 
I thought if I created a physical distance, maybe it would, ex maybe I could excuse and and I trick myself into believing the emotional distance is because of physical. So I moved as far out as I could get, Oregon, and uh, I came here and I got really low almost immediately. You know, this is something I tell my youth. I say, you know, the the because they're all ready to get out of the house and they're all ready to get cars and get the job. And I said, you know. That's the lies of the world. I said, you know, when I came out here, you know, I had before all of this, I had a, a good job. I had a car, I had my own place and I was suicidal. You know, I, at one point I dated a really, really beautiful girl, you know, and I was suicidal, you know, and now I moved out to Oregon and I'm just getting rooted in Christ and I'm out here by myself and I'm lonely and miserable, you know, and, and thinking about death. You know, and at this point, I'm definitely not entertaining ideas of suicide anymore, but I'm, you know, there's definitely some journal entries that are like, I wish I could die. <laughs> you know, I wish God would take this is some Job stuff. Yes. Just God, will you take me? It'd been better if I'd never been born. Miserable. So, yeah. So fast forward a few years, I meet my wife um, after a really, really exiting a really bad situation with a uh, another a girl, we was about a year later, I went through some therapy and stuff like that. I was getting rooted in church. My wife and I met at a church. Um, I was doing sound. Uh, I was volunteering to do the sound at the time. Yeah. And uh, she, I saw her walk by. I never, I'm very shy. You probably can't tell from our interactions, but I'm very shy usually. And I don't usually make eye contact. And at least at that point, I really didn't. Yeah. She walks And you're by. still in your mid to late 20s here. I'm, yeah. So, yeah, I'm 28. 28. Okay. So, it's about 10 years you ago. you guys get married at 30. You've been married for six years because you're, well, you're- I you got married at 33. 30, okay, gotcha. 32 or 33. Sorry. Yeah. Gosh, time is weird. Um, It's harder. You know, you, it was so easy. I was like, oh, 95. I'm in fifth grade. Now I'm like, it's 2017. How, how, how old was I? Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What car did I have? Well, I had the same car, so that doesn't help. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to like look at different milestones. Uh, yeah. So she's, uh, she walks by, we make eye contact, which never happens for either of us. She's very shy. She makes me, uh, you know, look like I'm a stage performer <laughs> and, uh, she's, uh, she looks at me and I smile and I thought, and this is a big church and I'll never see her again. Turns out she had been going to the same church with me for like years and we never run into each other. That's how big it was. Is this still Calvary Chapel in Albany or? No, this is, uh, this is uh, Grace City, Corvallis. Gotcha. Okay. And so um, lo and behold, the next week she shows up. She had already signed up, not because of me. She had already signed up and she just didn't show up that week because she had other things going on. And we started talking, hit it off and, you know, went back to school, um, got my degree and uh, we got married and. Then some hard times hit, and then I really found out about God. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna. So first of all, where'd you go to college, and then dive into sure. the marriage story and the, some of those challenging moments that yeah. that well exposed you, I guess, to go through a challenging time. Yes, I thought we want to hear more challenging times, but no, but it but all there's leads. A, there's, a, there's a story. Yeah, I think this is the real meat of it because this really leads to. I think this is so important. Um, again, I think maybe God has given me the story he has in a weird way because my whole life I would always tell the story of me recovering from all my abuse. But now I feel like most of the time when I talk about my testimony, it's I was a Christian who was lost until I realized that I was following the wrong gospel, which I'm going to get to. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of it. So my wife and I, I went to school at Oregon State. Go Beavs. 
Go Beavs. That's right. Um, all day, all day. Uh, my son right now has a little plush uh, Benny the Beaver, which he loves. So you gotta, you gotta love it. Um, and so I graduate. Uh, I think it's 2017. We get married, um, and all of a sudden, you know, going to church, doing all the right things, being trying to work to be good, and uh, we're fighting all the time. All the time. Marriage is rough. In fact, I think I saw a recent statistic. I don't know if it's true, but there are more divorces in the church than out of the church. That's tragic. And I was almost one of them. I was almost one of them. And I was bringing in all this unforgiveness and bitterness that I hadn't worked through. Ironically, I had just worked through my forgiveness with my mom. Yeah. Literally just forgiven her. Um, not like that very moment, but you know, no, recently. Process, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm worse. That's why I was talking about that pillar earlier. I was like, move the pillar. And it's like, oh my gosh, I haven't worked through any of this stuff with my dad. Well, your mom was... Uh the main focus, yeah. but when you removed her, you realized- There was all this other stuff. Gotcha. Yes, yeah, so okay. we're fighting and I'm just acting like a royal jerk to my wife all the time. And the crazy thing was, this is what got really confusing as a Christian man, was I'm crying out to God, God, don't let me be like this. I'm never going to bed going, man, I can't wait to treat my wife like crap tomorrow. That's going to be exciting. I'm crying out to him every night, like, don't let me do this again. And I'm like a shampoo commercial, rinse and repeat, buddy. I wake up the next day and I'm just the same mean cuss that I'm always to her. And I'm going- But in, in, all, in all fairness, you had no model. You yeah. grew up in abuse. That's normal. Yeah. I mean, truer. It, yeah. I didn't have a model. I didn't have mentorship, anything. Yeah. And I think that's where I, the talking about mentorship and men entering my life. So I drive this, this route all the time. And there's a sign out, Calvary Chapel, Albany. It says, free family counseling. And I thought, I got nothing to lose but my marriage. I call up Pastor Dan, who's my now pastor. I said, you know, I, I got to get counseling. And he says, you know, I never met this guy before in my life. He says, just so you know, it's biblical counseling. I'm thinking, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I go in and I'm thinking, what can, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I really don't believe anything's going to work, to be honest, but I'm desperate. And especially since like, I'm already. It's a great place to be, by the way, just. Desperate? Desperate. Yeah. Like, you know what? It's beyond me. Yeah. I can no longer do it. Your hands are open. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Desperate is the best place to be. I mean, you look at the woman with the bleeding condition or the the kid with the the man with the kid who's dying or like all these or the centurion, you know, yeah. you have to think they've got to have gotten to a desperate place of faith or, or, or Peter after he denies Christ three times. Yeah. He goes to him desperate and then he's ready. And I think that's where I was it takes at. It Peter a while to figure this out. Yeah. He, then he's ready. He's like, okay, now you're ready because you're. You know it's not you. Your hands are open. Yeah. Um, I think that's where I was at. So I go, and I don't really believe any of this is going to work. But then Pastor Dan said something to me that I tell guys all the time, and I'm surprised I had never heard it before. You know, Christian at this point. And just real quick, I'm going to pause you. Yeah. I think you're about ready to tell this little piece of story. And yeah. Since a week ago, I've told that story probably a dozen times. Yeah. So anyway, I, I can't wait for you to it's share this one piece. game changing. I'm glad that it's getting shared. Yeah. Because it's, it's you know, I've, I never heard it before. How many good people are in heaven? That was a simple question he asked me. And, you know, I consider myself a pretty smart guy, which is funny because, you know, the, the Bible says, you know, uh, uh, knowledge edifies, or excuse me, uh, love edifies, but knowledge puffs up. And, you know, it'll make the wise things of the world foolish and the full things of the world wise. Well, let me tell you, um, I was very foolish when I answered. I said, you know, I imagine quite a few. And he said, zero, only forgiven people. He said, why are you following the gospel of good enough? Your whole life, you've been trying to be validated by your father. You've been trying to be seen. 
You've been trying to be, uh, you know, you want people to to see you and hear you and justify you and validate you. And he said, you don't need to do that anymore. You've forgiven your mother, but have you ever accepted that you were forgiven? You know, talk about like that was like, you know, the Charlie moment and that moment are kind of punctuate, punctuated in my life. Hmm. And that was the moment I was like, whoa. Suddenly I go home and my marriage is like if somebody flipped a switch. I go to bed, cry out to God the next day, no rinse and repeat. Hmm. It's just – and now I'm not saying that we were perfect. You know, we still had our moments. But if suddenly like squabbles and, dif and, and disagreements were being talked about, were being – were discussing, were, were just different now. Yeah. And this event where you call Pastor Dan, Yeah. when did that happen? Like a year ago, two years ago? That was in 2019. Okay, so roughly four years ago. Yeah. And that's why I say my gross and Epiphany, then. little. Oh. I call that a come to Jesus moment. Yeah, come. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I think for them, first time in my life, I was like, oh, I don't have to look through the people anymore. Jesus wants to come in and clean the house. Like he's, he's coming here to have dinner, but he's also coming here to clean the house. Like, I don't have to do it anymore. It's like I suddenly was able to just take this big yoke, this burden off. It made that, I think it's in Matthew, you know, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. That, Matthew 2811. Yeah, that made that real to me. Because for the longest time, I remember I would I kept getting drawn to that scripture prior to this. Yeah. And I kept going, yeah, that's a crock of crap. I really did. I was really like, your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Why is it I follow you and I feel like I'm so hard. I'm so, I'm it's so hard, God. I can't do this anymore, you know? It's the one place in scripture, I think actually Matthew 11, 20, if I said 2011, but it's the one place where Jesus actually says, I am gently, gentle yeah. and humble. Come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. Yeah. I'll give you rest. So have you ever read the book John Mark Comer wrote it's called the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry? I haven't. It's my second favorite book. Can you, the Bible you imagine the first, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's clarifying. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. How you it did became that, yeah. my favorite book because in this world that we live in, we're always in a hurry. And the one thing about it is you can't love in a hurry. Try it. No, you can't. It's not, it's not possible. No. So, great book. You should read it sometime or at yeah. least consider it. Oh, I will. I will. That sounds really good. I like John Mark Comer too. I've actually, it's, it, well, it's probably not as surprising to people in this room, but I've seen him in person, you know, but probably people listening are like, oh. Love that dude. I remember growing up in Kentucky and you hear somebody and be like, oh yeah, I saw that guy. And it's like, oh, that's kind of amazing. But now here in Oregon, it's like, that's just yep. go to Portland. Yep, exactly. <laughs> just, just go to Portland, yeah. go to the church. What yep. is it? Rock? I forget what it's. I, I don't rock. think he's even preaching there anymore. I think he's he not? stepped down. Oh. Well, it's rumor. been a while. Well, yeah. and again, you know, But he's still pandemic. doing ministry just in a different way. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Anyway, sorry to get you off track. But. No, no, no. It's, yeah. No, you're, you're right, though. I mean, you know, when I got to that point of, uh, you know, again, desperate and uh, and then suddenly realizing that the reason why it was so hard for me to follow Jesus is because it was exactly what Paul is addressing in most of his letters, Yeah. right? Which is like, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Stop trying to bring legalism back into it. If I'm just a good person, I mean, and this has somehow infiltrated our churches and our church culture is the gospel of good. Like you're a good person, you're this, that, and the other. And it's like, you know, Jesus is the good in you. And Jesus will pr provide all of that. And it's just so sad to see so many Christian men and women, I think, where I was, you know, for that 10 of those 14 years, 
You know, I mean, I, there's a radical, it's almost like a radical fulcrum point in that 2019 before that and after that of, mm. of you know, on the surface, you might've looked at my life on the outside and thought, oh, he's doing all the same stuff. But uh, on the inside, something radically transformed in that moment of going, wow, I don't have to carry this anymore. I don't have to get his attention. I don't, I think I was ironically the big brother in the story of the prodigal son mm -hmm. for the first 10 years. In a weird way, my most of my life was prodigal, but then I became the big brother yeah. and was like, it's funny we can play both characters. We can play we? both characters. Yeah. Just, I've been here the whole time. Why yeah. don't you see me? Why don't you accept me? Am I not good enough for you? So then let's go off on our own and see how that works. Yeah. Then we go off on our own. Yeah. And luckily that's when he found me with the pigs and said, yeah. come home, son. Yeah. Like I, I needed you to get low so that I could show you how high I can elevate you. Hmm. Yeah. Brokenness, man. You know, yeah. it's, it's painful to see. But it's the only way to change is pain. I, I, you know, raising two daughters, my wife and I have two daughters, and I always told them growing up, I love pain. Yeah. I love pain. Oh, dad, why do you say that? <laughs> because it's the only way to get your attention. Gross. So I allow, I mean, yeah. I don't cause pain in their life, but I certainly allow it. Yeah. Because it Choose grows. Choose anything you. you want, but remember, it's you get to pay the consequences. Yeah. What do you think you'll do? I don't know. Yeah. It's funny. We'll take us into, we're going to wrap up here in a moment, but. Sure. This is awesome, man. You're you're sharing it. You've recently your coach. Yep. Uh, walk us through that journey. I know there's some maybe some pain moments in here of you know being a business owner, <laughs> yeah. being self-employed. Yeah. Like, all right, Lord, uh, is this all I need to live on? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're you know. Well, it's good that I took the yoke off because then it makes it a little easier to deal with those moments too. And I would say this: Have you ever missed a meal? Never. 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 Not at least not by. Uh, you just didn't have food, but you, maybe by choice you you did. But, sure, yeah. But so walk us through coaching. What does coaching mean to you? Who do you coach? Why is it important to you? And yeah. what's your message? Well, real quick before I get into that, because you just mentioned something about the not eating. You know, I was I was drawn to the scripture recently that uh, Jesus talks to the disciples and said, "You know, when I called you, I called you without, you know, knapsack and money bag and all these things." He said, "Were you ever without?" And they said, "Never, never, Lord." Hmm. And I think that's the, the I think that's a good business mantra to to chant. But to answer your question, um, I think it was really kind of the short version of this was all of what I've gone through has led me to this moment of going, wow, like, uh, you know, in 2021, when my business started to go under um, at the time, um, it didn't, but I thought it was going to, I got really desperate and some old habits started to come out. <laughs> some old man, the old man started to try to resurface. And mm. I suddenly had this moment of going, man, I have never, I looked at the Bible now as the authority of my marriage. It's the thing that saved it. Why is it not the authority on business? Yeah. So it took me through a two-year journey of looking at the word of God and going, and it was really just for me at the time. I had a, I had a client slash friend of mine that pushed me and said, you know, you should really write a book. And I thought, I don't want to write a book. The Bible's the book. So I put it off. I kept coming up with the Bible studies, right? but I never really had any any uh, interest in making it anything beyond like, this is for me and I need to know. And then uh, I remember God said, then make it a workbook so that they have to use, like it's basically refuge for the trash if it doesn't have the Bible alongside of it. So 
um, came up with a book called The Truth and Dare Guide to a Godly Business. The reason it's called that is because you explore truth and then it dares you to apply it. Um, and so that really birthed what the coaching is now is I'm really interested in going and finding people that are hungry to put God into their business, you know, and there are a lot of them out there that are like, there's a, we would spend most of our lives at work. And yet a lot of Christians, um, and myself included for years felt like, you know, I have to go to work and then I have to wait until I come home to be a Christian. So I wanted to, I'm looking at our culture and going, wow, like, you know, Jesus talked about the house that swept clean and the evil spirit comes with seven more, you know, we've swept our schools clean of prayer. We've swept our government clean of prayer and the Ten Commandments and biblical truth. And we've swept uh, our businesses. And now our marriages are, you know, they fail at 50%. Suicide rates amongst uh, youth uh, from 15 to 19. The second leading cause is suicide. The third leading cause is, is homicide. And I sit there and go, why are our kids so hell-bent on killing themselves and each other? Why are marriages failing? And I think a lot of it, at least the impact that I'd like to make is walking into businesses and saying, do you know that you can run a business, bring God into it, and invest and leave it at leave it at work and go invest in your family and you can be successful. Now, when I say success, I don't mean that I'm not the guy that's going to sit here and promise you you're going to make seven figures tomorrow. And if somebody, you know, and then I told people that up front, don't expect me to be the guy that's telling you I'm going to make you, but I'm going to make, but you're going to be a rich man or woman. And what I mean by that is, um, I'll tell a really short story to kind of illustrate this. We were going through a hard time. We go to the mailbox. My wife and I, it's miraculous. We end up being able to be homeowners in a very nice, um, because of our zip code, we get this mail in our mailbox and it says, we open it up and it says, uh, congratulations at being one of the top earners. And we've got like $10 in our account at this time. And I'm, I look at her and I said, even though they're wrong, they're right. I said, I'm the richest man. And I looked at her, her and my son and I said, because you're my riches. Matthew 8 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm the richest man. Even if I don't, and I think so many, and especially guys, and I, I know this from experience, we, it's our status or our bank account or our whatever, fill in the blank, our accomplishments that are deeming our worth. And businessmen end up running circles, running in circles, trying to make things work. And a lot of times they end up working later than they, later than they have to. Uh, Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless he guards the city, they stay awake in vain. It is vain to rise early and stay up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. And then it goes on to talk about children. The second part of Psalm 27 is, or 127 is about children, that they're their inheritance, their quivers in your, their arrows in your quiver. You can meet your enemies at the gate. If business people, Christian men and women knew the, the, the supplication, like you said, of Christ, that you're not going to go without a meal, but you could bring eternal value into your business that changes generations. Your 15 to 19-year-old kid will not be that statistic. And you can put light into them so they can talk to their 15 and 19-year-old friends and keep them from becoming a statistic. I want to empower the next generation. And it starts with helping businessmen, specifically fathers, because we have a fatherless issue here, um, to be at home. And not just because my dad, he was at home, he, but he, he was physically there. Not present. But he was not present. And I don't want to see that repeated. So that's what my coaching is about. This is heavy. 
I, I know that you and I are going to create a, a long-lasting relationship, and we're going to do this podcast. There's going to be part two and probably part ten. I love it. I do want to wrap up though. Sure. Um, what did we not talk about that you, maybe you can just touch on for a moment? Is there any one last thought, challenge, observation that you mm. want to leave the audience with? I mean, you gave us a lot of challenges and things to think about. Man, I don't know. I think it's just really. I think it's just reiterating. You really can trust him. Um, you have to know who he is. It's mm. not about who we are. Once we find out who he is, we'll know. Well, he'll tell us who we are. Um, I guess I'd leave with this. This is what popped in my mind. The other day I was sitting with my youth and I said, what if I could introduce you? I said, it's a big ask to ask you to believe in something you can't see and you read a book that's thousands of years old. And, to, and a lot of the context is detached from even modern day language and, and, and civics and history and, and culture. That's a big ask. But what if I told you, what if we jumped into Ephesians? And I encourage anyone right now listening to this to just go to Ephesians and start reading Ephesians. Start from book one. Um, and uh, it, starts, it, it hits really hard from verse three. So you don't even have to get that far in. What if you were to find out about God and what I told you that once you find, once you start exploring God, he talks a lot about you. Ephesians 1 is, count how many times it says we or us in reference to the reader. It's, he talks about we or us. We have been, uh, we, we were bought at a price. We were from the foundations of the earth. He wanted us. Like, you know, the reason I had Liam, there was a point when he didn't exist. Kelly and I had a conversation even before he was born. We had him because we wanted him. And we had a discussion. We didn't care that he was going to become the next TED Talk speaker or the next high school janitor. It really doesn't matter where he lands. He's my son and I love him and I'm well pleased with him. Mm -hmm. Imagine that you found that out about God, that God had a discussion in heaven with him, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit before even the foundations of the earth. You were a discussion. They talked about you and said, man, we want a buddy. We want a Gabriel. We want a Kelly. We want a Liam. And we're going to do everything in our power to make sure because their nature is going to be against us, we're going to go to the ends of the earth to make sure and guarantee and seal them with the promise of the Holy Spirit that they will be in eternity with us. You are made because you are wanted no matter what you are. And this is coming from a guy that grew up in an abusive home that never felt wanted. And I'll tell you, once I found Jesus, I realized I was wanted and you are too. That's what I'd leave you with. Boom. Mic drop. Well, you shouldn't drop these there. Yeah. <laughs> Brother, thanks for sharing Thank your you. heart, man. It's really yeah. awesome, Gabriel. And again, we're, we are going to do this again. Yeah, I love it. In probably the next six months or so. But, well, thanks for being a part of our show. Uh, thank you all to all the listeners out there that listen each week. We appreciate you. And we do hope that Gabriel's story will challenge you. That will, uh, the brokenness, God has a place for brokenness and he can repair all things. So thanks again for listening. And uh, have a great day. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much.